Hello, hello. Welcome to the Asian Dating Podcast. Today, I have a very, very, very professional matchmaker, Julie Furman, and she's joining me today. She's a legendary matchmaker, dating coach of juliefurman.com, and she's also the host of the Cupid's Coach Podcast. So if you haven't subscribed to her, you should look it up and do that. Julie is a professional matchmaker and dating coach since 1990. With over 1,200 success story couples, Julie Furman is truly legendary in the dating industry. She is an edutaining guest expert, easy to schedule with, lively and engaging, and she brings to your audience decades of media and public speaking experience. Using real live examples and great stories, Julie's spot on, courageous, compassionate advice for men and women who are out there in the dating trenches is always well received. Welcome to the show, Julie Furman, one of my favorite people in the industry. Thank you, May. I feel the same about you. And gosh, we've known each other for so long since you first were training all those years ago as a matchmaker. Yeah, yeah. I um, Back in, I think, 2007, 2009 was when I trained with the Matchmaking Institute. And Julie Furman was assigned to me as a matchmaker who was training me and I think three or four others. I'm not even sure if they're still in the De industry. Deanna Lorraine was in our, our group. And she was down in San Diego. Yeah, it was that, that big office building on Wilshire Boulevard. And it was really fun. I love working with young matchmakers. And obviously, we did a good job because your business has just thrived through all these years. And here you are. And it's wonderful. And, and you're the one who gave me the courage to get creative about how I how I office. So we all we all kind of you know, piggyback on each other, don't we? Right, right. And I think that's kind of what uh, led me to having a successful career and obviously a very stable career is networking with people such as yourself and, you know, 65 other matchmakers that we just connected with in Cancun and just amazing industry. And I encourage listeners out there who are interested in becoming an Asian matchmaker to contact me or find a lucrative career like this. I mean, I've just been so blessed, so blessed. What are your thoughts about that, Julie? I feel the same way. You know, um, I remember when I went to college, I thought I was supposed to study business. And so the first semester was really hard for me because I had to get through the accounting class. And it's just not my strength. All these years later, Gil and I have been married for 32 years. He balances the checkbook, right? That's just his thing. I don't mind making the money. I'm okay about that, but don't make me keep track of it. Let somebody else do that. And I just was not getting through these accounting classes. And my dad says, here's what you do. Take a semester of everything that naturally interests you and you will find your way. So I'm like, well, even if mom doesn't like it, he's like, even if mom doesn't like it, I'm like, okay, great. So I studied psychology and human sexuality, and that's what I majored in. And my mother was like, I'm sending her to college so she can study sex. You know, she was really, really pissed off about it. But look at it all these years later, and what do we do? We, we talk about dating, love, romance, sexuality, intimacy, 
So yeah, you find something you love to do and you figure out a way to serve people and get paid for it. And then you'll never work another day in your life. I totally agree. I agree. Well, that kind of leads us to our podcast topic today. I mean, we've talked about many, many things uh, on a podcast before, but today I wanted to talk about what are some of your best advice for someone who wants to start out in this industry, like real advice that they can take and implement. Like if they've been doing their corporate job or whatever job they've been doing for five, 10 years, and now they're ready to go out on their own, what are some key components of that that you would advise if you had a niece that wanted to get into the matchmaking industry? First thing you do is start start organizing your people. Like before I had a website, I just literally used a yellow legal pad, which I later turned into an Excel document. I'm still not very good at Excel. So, and now it's really easy to use a database that's already been built. You don't have to start from scratch the way I did. And so you just start organizing your people. Um, I remember when we were first doing our initial training together all those years ago, and somebody asked, you know, how many people do you need to have in your community before you feel like you can hang up your shingle, call yourself a matchmaker, and start charging for services, uh, introductions? And we all figured, you know, you really need to have about 200, 300. It's more about the quality than it is the quantity. So um, our little girlfriend, Darcy, that we met, who's in St. Louis, Darcy Roberts, she's starting with young people, 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so that's who she's focused on. And if you're really focused on a niche, or it could be Asians and people who want to date Asians, once you've got two or 300 people that you've really interviewed, you've had them on the phone, you've had them on a Zoom, and you've got the profile content in the bag, then you've got something. You put all that into your database and all of a sudden you've got something, but you have to know them and you have to have the information captured, including great photos, because most all the matchmaking companies use photos. Even if they're not sharing it with the clients, we need to know what this person looks like. So that's what to start with and just practice talking with people. Hey, I'm starting a new matchmaking company here in town specifically for Asians and people who love to date and partner with Asians. So who do you know? And you just start building your, your inventory. I, I hate to call human beings inventory, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Nobody wants to be part of a dating agency that has no people in it. <laughs> I um I I came from a different school of thought I guess um in my mind it was always if I had one person who was willing to pay me and one person who was willing to date if there's one single person and one paying person then I have a business and then that's when the fun starts right that's where I have this paying client who I'm working for I'm their PR person I'm their recruiter I'm their everything and I just took that as, okay, I'm working for this one client. And that actually gave me a reason to talk to a lot of women out there where I can say, hey, I'm searching for this client. Do you know anyone that would be a great match for him? 
and she'll be like, well, I am. Okay, great. Yeah. Talk to you See, about it. So. It's, it's like a chicken and an egg thing. Until you have that first client, when you've got the idea in your mind that you really want to become a matchmaker, start gathering your people and start paying attention to who might actually hire you. It was amazing. I had a colleague way back when, we're talking 20 years ago, her name was Sydney Day. And she was in the dating industry. Somehow we connected and she referred this lady to me who was my very first client. And just like you said, that's how it got kicked off. That's when I knew that I actually did have a business because I had money to open up a checking account with for my business. And I had to name it and I trademarked it. And she was this sweet little gal who was about five foot one, maybe 98 pounds. And she wanted a Jewish guy. And she said, please, can he have a little bit of hair? And can he be funny? And can he be a little bit taller than me? I'm like, I think we can handle that. So she was the one I first started recruiting for. And that was one of the reasons why I have always had a healthy collection of Jewish people because I went out and canvassed from the very beginning, hitting the sidewalk. Who do you know? Who do you know? 20 years later, I still have a healthy collection of Jewish people. That's great. That's great. And I do advise uh, new matchmakers out there to kind of stay in their lane, if you will, and create a niche for them where they feel like this is my specialty. And kind of like what you said, if you went on to just handle and serve the Jewish clientele, you probably would have multiplied your database by tenfold if that was your specific area. So mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not a big fan of doing everything for everybody out there because that's like creating six businesses out there. If I focus on twenties and thirties or maybe thirties and forties, and then maybe fifties and up and, you know, 70 and up, like, I feel like that's why I never thought I would excel at the um, gay matchmaking because that's a building a whole new business. Like, right. I just want to stick to what I know, what I'm comfortable with, who I want to serve. And I think um, as I'm training other Asian matchmakers that I want to tell them the same thing, like, don't make the same mistakes I made. Just exactly. focus on what you enjoy doing and what you're expert at. So, yeah. Yep. It's really good. And that's why it's so nice that we all collaborate. If I've got somebody who really wants, and we've, we've collaborated before, somebody who's really looking for an Asian woman, guess what? I'm not going to beat my head up against the wall. I'm going to refer that person directly to May and you know what to do with them. Yes. Yes. I know you referred a nice gentleman to me before and we got him engaged, yeah. but. Anyway. And we've done so many introductions through the years. It's just yeah. been wonderful. Why? Because you're responsive. You actually pick up your emails, you respond and you care. You, you go to bat for your clients and you go to bat for us. You don't leave us hanging. It's so if all the matchmakers would do that, then all of our jobs would be so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I use my email list as a to-do list. How do you create a to-do list? How do you know what to do and what to work on and to stay organized, Julie, after like- You, you know, and I have always kind of done that. If I need to make myself a reminder, I will email myself because I know that when I get to this desk, Command Central, I will see it and I will organize it. But I use my Google uh, tools. So I use the task list um, on Google 
and I'm always updating it. My marketing plan and my business plan are always there and, and I'm just constantly evolving it. So the things that I know that I need to do are there. And then, you know, I've got a little pink sticky right here that reminds me when I hang up from you, I'm going to send an email to a gal named Dina who I met with when I was in LA last weekend and I've got lots to share with her. That's awesome. Sticky, That's stickies awesome. work too. Sticky's work, right, right. Um, how do you balance the time between your full-time gig and spending time with your husband? Because I know you moved out to, uh, you know, New Mexico, you know, a few years ago, and I moved to Colorado yeah. six years ago. How do you find the balance of time? Like, what do you make sure work is work and fun is fun? Like, where are your boundaries? What kind of boundaries do you set? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, in the wintertime, there's not a lot of daylight and I always want to make time to walk my dog every day. And if I wait to do that until it's four or five o'clock, it's dark out, it's cold out. I don't want to do that. So I have in my calendar today between two and three o'clock, walk Toby with Gil. It's husband time. It's dog time. I'm going to work on some training and it's just squeezed in between my appointments, but I'm not going to forget to do it. Uh, I literally schedule personal time for myself and it works. Um, I also, I really, you're, you're the one who paved the way because once you move to Colorado, I'm like, if May can do it, maybe we can do it too. And sure enough, I just took my phone number and I gravitated it to the web so that I, and I use Ring Central that works well for me. I schedule all of my calls and people get used to it. They're like, oh, okay, um, sure. I can, a lot of times people are scheduling with me. They've never used a Calendly system before. They've never used a time trade system before. It feels a little awkward to them, but guess what? People learn. Um, my phone rings on the web. Uh, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Um, I, I did some analysis about six years ago when we moved here. I thought, okay, how many of those calls that I'm interrupted by every day, and I hate the sound of the phone ringing, it's always a distraction, it's always an interruption. How many of those phone calls were people I actually wanted to talk to and needed to talk with by phone? And how many of them could have been a simple text message, a simple email, could have waited half an hour, two hours, three days, any of it? And I realized that 95% of the incoming phone calls are people I don't want to give my phone time to. If I want to serve my clients well, I need to guard my desk time very carefully. I don't want to be at this desk more than 30 hours a week. And I, that's how I make it happen. That's very good. Yeah, that is a good point. I have not graduated to the Calendly system. Um, so yeah, my system's a little bit different. I don't like having a to-do list. So if someone calls me, I'd rather pick up the call now and talk to them so I don't have to say, let me try to find you later or schedule a time because my schedule well, this, is so This is how I know that you have a very, very understanding, compassionate, sweetheart of a husband. My husband likes things the way he likes it, when he wants it and how he wants it. And if I have to pick up a phone call, in the middle of dinner or if we're walking the dog and my phone rings, no, no, that's not good for my marriage. So I just learned that if I can say to my kids, cause my kids used to be on either side of my office and they would know that between nine o'clock in the morning and three o'clock, that's mommy's work time. You can't 
You just can't barge in and expect mom to be available. If my door's open, then yeah, sure. But if that door's closed, I'm in, I'm in session. You can't come in. It's just like a therapist. And they learned and it was beautiful. And they also knew that once three o'clock happened, boom, that's yeah. done. It's kid time. It's homework time. It's let's make dinner time. It, it just, for me, it's a much freer way to live than yeah. being always like wondering, oh God, who's the, when's the next phone call or call me back when you get this message. Can you call me back between six and seven? No, I'm making spaghetti and meatballs between six and seven. Right, right. <laughs> I think I'm going to do that. Maybe for 2023, I think I might implement scheduling calls. I mean, I could always try it, right? If it doesn't work for me, yeah. I can come back. Yeah. It's so freeing. You know, I was going through a bit of a, uh, of a downturn, you know, uh, in every industry, in every business, there are peaks and valleys. And I wait patiently for the right clients. I charge for my consultations. I'll give a half an hour free phone call to anybody I really want to vet, screen, qualify for one of my clients or somebody who looks really intriguing to me. But I'm not going to give a half an hour of my phone time to every single person who registers with me. They might be in New York, they might be in the Philippines, they might be in Greece, they're all over the world, right? But if they wanna schedule with me, I will do it. And it's so beautiful that I just know, I can look and see, okay, I've got eight consultations scheduled over the next two weeks. I know my bills are gonna be paid, right? And it's, that's why I charge for my consultation so that I can wait very patiently for the right client. And when the right client does show up, I don't have to charge them an obscene amount of money. I really intend and always have that matchmaking should be um, affordable to a lot of people, not just to the super wealthy. Right. I agree. I agree. And also I know you do. And I appreciate that about you, May. I really do. Yeah. I mean, it's like setting boundaries with your spouse and your kids. It's also setting boundaries with your clients and the potential people who might be your future clients. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, signing on a whole bunch of new clients at this one moment in time. For some reason, just four new clients all at the same time jumping in. And with every one of them, I have to set my boundaries. And one of them is just like a wants to jump on the phone all the time. And I, I, plan for a certain number of scheduled phone calls. And beyond that, I'm very accessible by text messaging, very accessible by email. And I really strive to get back to each of my clients that same day, if I possibly can. Maybe if it's a Sunday, it might be late in the day before I get back. But they learn that about me, that I am responsive and that it's a healthy way to be, to have boundaries between personal time and work time for all of us. Right, right. So speaking of clients, um, what are, what are your favorite clients? What is your ideal dream client? Like if you wanted to only take this type of client, tell me about your favorite female client and favorite male client. Well, there's one I talk about on my uh, podcast and we call her Veronica on the podcast. Her name is not really Veronica. I changed people's names so I don't get sued, but, um, the reason why I loved working with her and I even stayed with her when I was in LA for a couple nights because we had events up in her neck of the woods near uh, Santa Rosa Valley where she lives. So the reason I loved working with her and still will refer her any chance I get is because she was as curious and growth oriented and interested in people as she was find my man, find my man, find my man. You know, she 
she made sure that each person, it's her natural way of being, each person she got to meet, and I think we did, I think we've done 16 introductions. I've known her for, I think, two years. We've done a lot of introductions, and half of those have been after her program was technically over. I'll continue to offer introductions if I see if a great one falls in my lap. I'm just going to go ahead and bonus her on because I don't want to charge her a second time because we've already kind of been through most of what I could do, but the new people come in, it just, just felt like the right thing to do. So she always looks for the good in people. She did not judge a guy quickly as to whether she would be attracted to him or not. She waited for him to show her his true colors and she expected good in people. So guys want to be around her. They felt like, oh my God, I feel validated when I'm around her. She's she's fun. She doesn't wait for the guy to initiate. She jumps right in. Hey, I've got tickets to a matinee on Sunday, downtown LA. Are you interested? Do you want to go? Maybe she had just had a first date with a guy. He took her out for dinner. She didn't just wait and play games. She said, hey, I got tickets to the ballet. You want to go? That kind of stuff. By around date number three, um, she would cook for him. Either she'd bring stuff over to his place or she'd have him over to her place. She was really good about boundaries. She was able to have a guy in her home without worrying about, is he going to make moves or something? She was just always saying, hey, I'm, I'm sensual. I'm affectionate. Once I'm in a relationship, meanwhile, we're trying on hats. We're feeling each other out. We're not going to get to the bedroom tonight. She would laugh about it. And the guy would get it. She's like holding her space. So she's just been a delight. Um, here's the easiest guy, the best guy in the world. You're going to love this. Um, right before COVID, I had a gentleman named, um, I shouldn't give his real name. We'll call him Conrad. And he was in Century City, Harvard guy, Yale guy, just super brilliant, wonderful, the kind of guy we all hope to will just stumble into our office. And I introduced him to another woman who had just signed on with me. So they were both brand new clients. I matched them with each other. Neither one of them has had another date. They've been madly in love for like three years. And they're like kids. They send me these pictures. They're in Hawaii. They're on a boat. They're on a motorcycle. They're like being high school teenagers. It never happens that easy. But if you're in this industry long enough, the good Lord above will grace us with something as miraculous as that. Well, going back to your ideal female client, I mean, that's what we're missing, right? In the dating world, we're missing women who are just open to inviting the guy out on the third date or cook for him. Like, oh, I don't want to cook for him. He's going to expect that when we're in a relationship. It's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Mean? Yeah. That, who cares? Like, don't you want to be a nice person and offers you know to show him that you're a great cook because that can be a great trait sure and it doesn't have to be in the kitchen either if people don't want to invite the other person to their home yet they can go on a hike they can go on a picnic and you can bring it you can do so many creative things and throw it in a backpack or have a little picnic basket and go to a park which is a beautiful way to have a second or third date right just the thought of doing something different but simple it's not extravagant but the thought of inviting somebody to do something, I think that, you know, goes a long way with a guy. It so, sure does. Yeah. You know, um, I've been asking couples when I meet them for years, you probably do too, May, when I meet them, well, how'd you meet? How'd you meet? How'd you meet? Oh, well, we met in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what happened? 
Well, I saw him sitting there and I asked him if he had an extra pen. She didn't need an extra pen. She just wanted to talk to him. So often, I'm saying it's like 70, 75% of the time, it's us girls who cause this little interaction to happen. It's like women say, well, I want the man with the plan. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, think about it. When we're in a relationship, when when you and your husband are getting ready to make a plan to go out with another couple, who's making those details? Is it you or is it your honey? Which one is it? Yeah. Usually the woman, right? It's always us. Yeah. It's always us. It's never, it's never the guys doing right. it. So why should we play these games and expect the guy to jump through hoops? Biggest mistake that we make as women, one of them, it's a mistake that guys complain about all the time is that we expect them to read our minds. We expect them to know what we might want for Christmas or Hanukkah or Valentine's Day. And if we just make it easy for them, right? You know, this is, this is, I'll make it really easy for you. This stupid holiday called Valentine's Day is coming up. All you got to do is um, bring me, if you really want to spoil me, bring me some yellow roses, but more important than anything, let's just go out to dinner together and have a nice meal. It could be lunch. It could be dinner. It could be two days ahead of time. Doesn't have to be the 14th. Just that's what would make me happy. Right. How but hard a lot is that? Of times, but a lot of times the women, they're like, well, I want to see what he has in store for me. I want to see what he thinks or what his thought process is. And I remember the very first Christmas with my now husband and I, we've been together almost 15 years. He got me the crappiest Christmas gifts. And why would I want to stress him out now, 15 years later to pick a gift for me that I think he could read my mind. It's like, I make it easy for him. I just say, okay, babe, I'm going to send you five links of stuff that I want. And you can surprise me by picking out one of them and buy it for me. Like, yeah. You, you can also say to him, okay, so this horrible holiday, Valentine's Day is coming up. Do you care about Valentine's Day? What do you like to do? Are you the guy who likes to plan stuff? Or are you like dreading Valentine's right. Day? How do you ask him? Because right. some of the guys really do. They are romantic. One of the new gentleman clients that I'm just signing on right now is just such a romantic. And if he was robbed of the opportunity to plan something special for her birthday or for Valentine's Day, he would be crushed. His greatest fear in dating right now is that he's afraid that he won't be able to find a woman who can receive his love the way his wife did. They were together for 45 years yeah. and he's been widowed for two years. So he gets to do dating over again. And he taught her how to receive love and compliments and all of that. And he says he's worried that today's women are a little bit too, oh, I'll do it myself. Oh, you don't need to do that for me. So he really wants a feminine woman who can be vulnerable and receive. But that's the thing, right? He needs to just ask her kind of what you said, like for Valentine's Day, what what is your expectation? You want me to plan everything or is there something else? If I could read your mind, what would I read in your mind? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just communication. Yeah. It's like, it, it, there's this one little question that we always ask in my conversational quickies events. And it's, if you could change one thing about men, or if you could change one thing about women that would make dating easier, what would you change? Like if you could just wave your magic wand every single time that when we go around the table with that question, the answer is, I just want to know what people are actually thinking. I wish they would just communicate directly, even if it's 
I'm glad we met today. It's not a love. It's not a love match, is it? Or I don't think we're gonna be running off into the sunset together. But I'm really glad we met. I'll let you know when I've got a party happening. You let me know when there's a party happening. Maybe we'll be each other's plus one for a holiday party. Maybe we'll see each other at another one of May's events. Something like that. But don't leave the person hanging. We don't want to be left hanging ourselves. Even if neither one of you wants to see each other romantically at all, if you don't say anything and you slink away and you ghost each other, when you see each other again at Trader Joe's, how's that going to feel? I know. I know. It's like so easy to communicate, right? Like I always tell my friends, my girlfriends, like, man, it's so easy to be a great boyfriend. You just do little things and you just ask questions and be interesting and interested. Like those are just such easy things to do. But Julie, you and I know this now, but back in our single days, I was probably a horrible dater too. You know, I would probably ghost people or not communicate effectively and think he knows what I want or wants him to pick up the check or wants him to do this and wants him to do that. But, but now that we're doing what we're doing, it's like, things are so much, there's so much clarity and we're like, wait, just do this. It's so easy. So when you and I were single girls, we didn't have a podcast like this to listen to. <laughs> right. There weren't even podcasts, right? There were crummy books like the rules. That's all there was. <laughs> You know, so this age of information, it's really incredible. I, I think I've been doing my podcast now for like three years. There are people who have not missed one episode. That's like three days worth of content or something. I'm like, but if if they're going to listen to good, solid advice over and over again, it's going to make a difference. And I'm the voice in their head when they're at the supermarket and they see that cute person over there. I'm the one saying, go over and say hi. Go over and ask, how do you know a good cantaloupe from a bad cantaloupe? You be the one to ask the question. <laughs> but Julie, you, you're kind of an extrovert and you're social and you like talking to people. But how does a shy person who goes to Trader Joe's approach someone to start a conversation like that? Like what? what do you Some people that? are not going to do it at, at, at Trader Joe's. Some people are not going to do it. Uh, there's a woman I've been working with. She's so amazing. She's up in Wisconsin and she does a coaching call with me once a month and we have transformed her dating life. There are no matchmakers where she lives. So she will not walk up to somebody at Whole Foods, but she feels very comfortable now after doing it a few times, going to one of her favorite sushi bars and she goes early, 5.30 or 6. She likes to eat early. She'll either have iced tea or she'll have some uh, sake she'll just different times different things and she has a certain like three of them she'll walk by and see if they're interesting people at one she'll look and see if they're interesting people at the other one she'll go to the one with the most interesting people and she just sits down and starts having conversations and she also has her calling cards we have been working with calling cards which is not a business card it only has her first name on it has a smiling face of a smiling shot of her beautiful face and a quote on it. I think it's like a um, Emerson quote that she appreciates. Another one of my clients has a calling card that has a boat on the front of it and a horse on the back. So it's very clear what she's into. So she's, she's more comfortable that way. One of my gentleman clients was the guy who was shy um, and he didn't 
know how to walk up to people. So he borrowed his neighbor's dog, this adorable little Portuguese water dog. And that was his flirting prop. And every Saturday he would borrow the dog. It was a little old lady, didn't have, you know, the energy to walk the dog as much as the dog wanted. He would take this dog out and he'd go to the art galleries. He'd go to the bookstores and everybody thought it was his dog. And that's how he met his partner was with the dog. What a great dating strategy is to help out a little bit older lady who can't walk her dog all the time, but yet you can take the dog out and use it as a icebreaker, right? So exactly. That is like a, a flirting win. prop. Yeah. yeah. One of the guys that I met who lives here in New Mexico, how I met him is he, it was a trade show and he's got a little bow tie on. And he says he hates bow ties, but he wears them when it's a trade show because it's a flirting prop. It's a hook. And what, how did I meet him? He walks down the aisle and I said, nice bow tie. <laughs> and he is now my public relations uh, consultant here in New Mexico. And he's this great guy. I've introduced him to some wonderful, wonderful people. He happens to be single all because of the bow tie. Right, right. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about your use of their calling cards. Like they just go mm -hmm. out and make these cards. Do you have every single one of your clients do these um, part of the process? I will recommend it for most everybody. Okay. Um, it's because whenever you're getting ready to go out, you know, here's your card. It's got your pretty smiling face on it. It's got your contact information on the back. But I don't want, especially for women, why do we not share our cards more often? Well, we don't, we don't know who that person is. We don't want them to Google us and find out the value of our home and where we work and all of that. So I like to make sure that it does not have any identifying information on it. If somebody's name is really unusual, change it. Right. Instead of, you know, one of my clients is a very, very specific name that I've never heard any of in the name. So we call her Sam instead. Mm -hmm. So, and also the phone number, if you can Google your phone number and find out everything about yourself, goodness gracious, don't yeah. put that on a calling card. You can do um, the burner app, um, which is a $5 a month service that a lot of my female clients subscribe to, and it disguises their phone number. So whenever that line rings, they know it's a suitor or it might be me. It might be their matchmaker. Um, here's my son's calling card. It has his dog on it. You haven't met my son, Kevin, who's up in Colorado, but that's his dog, Bowie, with the sunglasses. And it's his transportation card because he does a lot of different things for work. And one of the things he does is private airport shuttles and stuff. And Bowie's always in the back seat. You know, he's always in the trunk and he's always with his sunglasses and he's so cute. So it's very memorable. So it gives you the reason you've got it in your pocket. You see this person at Trader Joe's, you're having a nice conversation, you can say, so glad to meet you, May. Here's how to find me. Right. And you give your card willingly, graciously. And you can even say, my friends and I plan a lot of really interesting singles events. If you happen to be single, we'll invite you. Yeah. So these cards, they don't have the last names and not their email address, just like a, right. like a phone right. number, like a Google like a Google number? That it could be, um, I think Google Voice might work. I'm not sure how Google Voice works, but um, with the, the burner app, the phone number that you're giving out is not traceable to you. So it's a safe way for a woman to, and she's not asking him out. She's saying, hey, um, if you ask me out, I, I'd probably say yes. Right, right. <laughs> 
I love you know? it because it's you're not waiting for him to ask for your phone number, but he piqued your interest and he caught your eye and it's just like a quick, oh, here, you know, like it's a easy way yeah. to break the ice. Um, but yep. you put the ball in his court too. Absolutely. And if you really like the guy, don't let him out of your sight before you say, how will I ever find you? What if you lose my card? How will I ever find you? And then it's you laugh about it and then you get your phones out and you make sure that you're connected. Yeah. You be the one to make sure it happens. I remember when I was a single girl and I had a dating coach and he was teaching me all of this stuff. He said, don't let the good guys, you know, pass you by because you're perceptive and you're going to pick up on, a, on the right energy. So, you know, if a guy is attracted, my dating coach was a man. He said, if a guy is attracted to you, he's afraid that you're going to turn him down like so many other women have, and you're going to turn him down meanly. Because right. a lot of women are just plain mean. They'll give a phone number that's like some porn site or something like that. I mean, they're just, they're mean to these poor guys. And especially now with the Me Too thing having happened, really good guys are not approaching women with the same frequency that they used to. And I hear that all day long. Do you hear that from your clients too? Not so much. Um, I feel like that's a different, that's a different uh, take on the Me Too with my dating clients. My dating clients are still very motivated to find somebody, but that's the thing though, right? They hire a matchmaker, so they expect me to make the move on the right. way, which is kind right. of I'm their crutch, right? So that's right. Well, it's so nice. I, I really like uh, for people who are uh, reserved. I call these guys still waters run deep. They're not gonna hey baby, how you doing? It's not their style, and it's not that it just wouldn't be in any way authentic. But it is really nice to have somebody say, hey, you know what? I got a really interesting man. I want you to meet, and that pitch that we make for right. our client as the client's advocate is what they're paying us for because right. we're saying stop everything pay attention i got somebody important i want you to meet i just sent one of those off this morning um again one of my new gentleman clients and one of my new female clients they mat they they look like a really good match and my photographer and i both thought that when they we shot them a day apart uh, for their photo shoots. And he's like, wait a minute, what about, I'm like, yeah, right, no, right. What, what? And we showed, we don't normally do it this way, but she's like, you have to show me, you have to show me. And we showed her a picture of him and she's like, yep, I would totally go on a date with him. And so this morning I had to send the pitch to him. I don't have her photos back yet. And so I just wanted to kind of let him know something very interesting is happening. Just like what happened three years ago with this couple and I showed him the picture, that's the pitch that we're giving our client and it's worth it's worth gold is yeah. what it is do you recommend the men kind of like your son carry the calling card as well make some for them absolutely everybody should have a card it makes it easy to reach out um, there's a cute little story i'll share with you um, about this gal i met at a golf tournament i met her with her husband and i always ask you know how'd you meet and she said well it was golf actually i was divorced and i didn't know anybody. My husband took all of our friends and I felt like I had to build a new social network. So she decided to pick up golf. She'd never done it before. And then when she had had a few lessons, she signed up for some charity golf tournaments. You do not to be, need to be good to do charity golf tournaments. Everybody sucks and everybody knows everybody sucks and it's just fun. 
So she was paired with this guy and she was really enjoying him and he seemed to be enjoying her. They were together all day. They had lunch all together with their four people in their group. And at the end of the day, she's thinking, he's going to ask me out. He, he's going to ask me. I know, I know he is because she could just feel it. And he didn't. It was like the end of the day and everybody's like, great to meet you. So much fun. See you later. Bye. And she's like, where's where's my guy and she didn't want to chase after him but she was just like so disappointed she was practically in tears so she's walking to her car and she says gosh darn it you know she puts her clubs in her trunk and she drives around the parking lot to see maybe she'd see him again and sure enough there he is putting his clubs in his trunk and she lowers her window down and she says so aren't you gonna ask me out they are married with two children in college now. <laughs> what, what, what was, I want to go back. Like, what was his reason for not asking her out? Like they spent all this time together. They would have known they were both single if they didn't talk about significant others. Right. He like, said, him I asked him the same thing. I said, how come you didn't think to ask her out? He goes, I don't know. I was just nervous. I was just a doofus. <laughs> See, we drive relationships. The female energy drives relationship. When we think as women that we're going to meet a guy who's as evolved as we are, as conscious and communicative, it's not going to happen. They have other strengths. Maybe he can, you know, shoot the deer better. Maybe he, maybe he's better at throwing a football. Maybe he's better at, you know, unclogging a toilet. But when it comes to opening our hearts and talking about difficult things, it's pretty much us. It's going to initiated and I think we should expect it. So had they have both or had she have had a calling card, she could have said, oh my gosh, what a great time I had golfing with you. I want to stay in touch. Here's my card. Yep. That. And my friends and I plan some really fun singles oh. parties. If you happen to be uh, single, we'll invite you. And oh. anybody can use that line because yes. now they have a friend named Julie Furman and a friend named May. And yeah. we do produce events and singles parties. So they're not lying, are they? Right. right. True. Okay. I will respect your time, but I just wanted to let you know that Julie... You have made such an impact on me all these years uh, as a matchmaker, as a mentor and your business and my business is very similar. We do a lot of the very same things when we pair up our clients and the people that we have in our network. And I remember one thing you said to me a long time ago was an example where you were talking to somebody and your exact line saying to somebody at the end when you were partying was, I really enjoy spending time with you. You're a keeper. Do you remember saying that ever? I um, say that all the time. Yes, you yes, are a keeper. I, I need your I, phone number. Yes, that, yes. That's how I met my friend Suzanne. Okay. Um, I was living in Kansas City. I was really lonely. I didn't know anybody. I was working for my dad's Ramada Inn hotel chain. <laughs> and <laughs> I was uh, really lonely. And I went on a bike ride and it was a 150 mile bike ride over two days, the MS 150. And one of my missions was, cause I had my dating coach. She said, you need some girlfriends. You need to create a posse for yourself, people you can do stuff with. So one of my missions on this thing, and I did it all by myself, was that I was gonna meet some girlfriends. So there was this one gal, Suzanne, who lives up by you. I'm having shivers just thinking about it because <laughs> I've told you about her. She lives up in Erie, just north of you. And I saw her and I start riding next to her and we're having this great conversation. She's beautiful, sunny, 
athletic, active, just the kind of girl I wanted to have in my life. And I was going to get her phone number. Well, then there was this hill. <laughs> And she was in much better shape than I was. Like when she and her husband got married, they they climbed all 52 14ers in Colorado. That's what kind oh. of shape this girl was in. I couldn't keep up with her. And I was trying so hard. I thought my heart was going to bust out of my chest. And I thought I lost her forever, right? There's that moment in time you think, oh, why didn't I get the phone number? And then I saw her in the next rest stop. And I ran after her and I said, Suzanne. You're a keeper. I need your phone number. I'm like, I need, I need your phone number. And she went to my wedding. I went to her wedding. She had my son, Kevin, at her Easter celebration up there in Colorado, all because I chased after her and about killed myself with a heart attack because I had to have her in my life. Don't let don't let these people slip through your your fingers. Right, men and women though. I find that I use that line, you're a keeper and people like that. They actually like the fact that I'm admitting to them that I like them. So they automatically like me back, right? It's kind of like when you're in junior high. Who doesn't want to be desired? Who doesn't? You want to be my friend? Right. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I, I learned how to approach people by watching my son, Kevin, the one who lives in Colorado, because he was always very gregarious. And I'd take him to the playground and he'd just walk up to some kid. Hi. I'm Kevin, you want to be my friend? And the kid would be like, yeah, let's go play. And I'm like, why is it that they can do it and we can't? So I just started imitating my son by saying, hey, you're a keeper, let's play. Let's let's get together. Let's go out for drink sometime. What do you say? I do it all the time now. I know, I know. So thank you for telling that story to me one time. And I use it every day, probably the past 14 Good. years that I've, uh, you know, since I met you. So yeah, beautiful, that's beautiful. Thing, so. Well, um, I hope we're both in business for another, uh, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, we've made a lot of love happen in the world. And I really appreciate your earnestness and your dedication and all the love that you bring to the work that you do. You're a, you're a total treasure. Oh, thank you, Julie. How would people find you? I obviously include all of your information in the show notes, but just any last parting yeah. words from Julie? Yeah, anybody who's inspired to register with me as well as May. I always tell people to register with both of us. Uh, it's juliefurman.com. It's free and it's private to be registered. And also listen to the podcast, the Cupid's Coach podcast. All the all the advice is there, three days worth, I think, by now. So you could just, you know, hit a marathon podcast and not sleep for three days. That's all you got to do. Okay. Thank you, Julie, for joining me on the Asian dating podcast, but all of the information is great for all singles out there. And please like, or subscribe to the channel and I will talk to you later. Bye, Julie. Thank you. Bye, May. Thanks a bunch, hon. Bye.